0: father, and even, even as we break open the scripture, I pray that that would be even the cry of people today. They would realize God is great. So thank you, Lord God. Thank you for reminding us today that we have an incredible God whose name is above every other name. I pray that we would never forget your greatness today. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. When the United Nations was being built here in New York City, there was some controversy of whether they should begin to put a house of worship or a chapel in the middle of the building. All the executives and all of the ambassadors were talking through, do we put that house of worship right in the middle of the United Nations building? In fact, while the argument was going on, it became large enough where the city and people knew that they were arguing over whether to put a house of worship in the building itself. It was interesting that one of the New York City papers decided to print a cartoon of the discussion. In fact, what the cartoon depicted was a huge hand, the hand of God. In the middle of the hand was a tiny little globe, planet Earth. And on top of the globe with some ambassadors um, discussing, and you saw this caption underneath, do we have to invite him as well to the UN? You know, with all that's happening around the world, my advice is I would invite him. He does hold the whole world in his hand. That's the one that you want to be there. In fact, with all that we're facing today in our nation, from a pandemic to civil unrest, not only would I invite him, but let me just say this really clearly, we need him. We need God's involvement. And that's why I love what, what the Holocaust survivor, Corey Temboon said, she said this, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you're gonna be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. I, 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 wanna, I want us to get a good look at God today because I want you to be at rest even though we see unrest all around us. And in fact, if I could say this to you, the best way to know what God is like is by reading the word of God. This, is, this book is what gives us the description of who God is. It doesn't come from our imaginations. It's self-revelation through the word of God. God reveals himself. We don't, we're not discovering it. He's revealing it to us. And I wanna show you a portrait of God. I want you to listen to me. I wanna show you a portrait of God, a, a, a picture of God that literally took my breath away. I was reading this through the scriptures, and and I had to pause. I was, I was absolutely um, amazed to go. God, thank you for reminding me on as Greg and the team saying how great you are. One of the things I started to realize as I was as I was thinking through how great God is. Is God is a God of perfect balance? What, what do you mean by that, Pastor Tim? His nature and his character is congruous. It's it's, it's it all begins to work together. In fact, God is love, but that's not all that he is. He's more than that. Um, He's not overbalanced in one area. He he is um, not just a God of love, but he's also a jealous God. He's not just faithful. He's also holy. He's not just compassionate. He's just all these things bring a perfect balance, because balance is what makes something beautiful I, I, a, a desert is beautiful if it 's in a section of the United States, um, but not beautiful if the whole u s is a desert, then it becomes barren land. Um, a city is magnificent if it 's balanced by greenery and if there's and if you can see water and and uh, around the buildings and the concrete that 's why Even here, where Times Square Church is, here in New York City, um, Central Park, New York City needs even Central Park right in the middle of the city. Um, Our our eyes see concrete day after day, and to know a few blocks away, we can see green, we can see water, we can um, see wildlife. It lets you know, it brings a balance. I I think when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, He was perfectly balanced in who he was. I I believe this, Jesus modeled every fruit of the spirit was was part of his life. Think of the fruit of the spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter five, verse 22 and verse 23. Um, Love and joy and peace, there's long suffering, there's gentleness, goodness, meekness, there's patience. Um, And what's interesting, it's called the fruit of the spirit, not fruits of the spirit, he was Paul was reminding us that all of that equals the fruit of the spirit. If if it was plural, if it was plural, then it seems that each one of them can stand alone, but God says, no no no, you can't pick and choose which fruit that you want to really emphasize and go like, I'm, I'm, I'm into love, but not into patience. Or I, I like the goodness thing, but I'm, I, I'm, I don't really have much for that meekness stuff. See the fruit of the spirit has to have all nine of them. And I believe that Jesus modeled that. I believe that was part of who he was and, and, and balanced in all of his character. And, And I want you to see that kind of balance in a few verses in the book of Psalms, That really took my breath away. It was it was a balance between of showing God's greatness and God's humility. When I when I when I stumbled on this verse in my reading, I just paused them going, God, you are amazing on what you do. Because we don't think much of God's humility sometimes. When he asks us to humble ourselves, it's because he himself is humble. In fact, I don't I I think nothing is more amazing and even God like than even when you see a person, especially a believer who has power and humility at the same time. Because usually power corrupts or even distorts people, um, but not with God. There is power, but there's also the humility. And you're gonna see that in a second. And to see how powerful God is and how humble God is, is really what begins to to dominate this passage of scripture. In fact, nothing shows God's humility more than 2,000 years ago, when he humbled himself, according to Philippians chapter 2, and says, took on the form of a servant, became a man, and then walked all the way to the cross and became our sin bearer. That not only tells me that God is humble, but it also tells me that God is great. And I have to be reminded of that, not even just through a song that our team just sang. I remember my, my father used to teach me, he says, when he told me, he says, when I pray he says, the best way I can remember um, on, on how to make my even prayer life balanced is he says, I remember this acrostic, these words, acts, A-C-T-S. And he says, and I try to put all those elements even in my prayer life. He says, A is adoration for who God is. C is confession of, of, of asking God to cleanse our hearts. T is for thanksgiving, just to be mindful of all that God has done. And S is supplication. Cry, crying out to God and what our needs, um, but he kept reminding me that don't forget Tim, to adore him before you ask something from him. Be reminded on how great God is. I mean, let me tell you why great God is great. There's there's three words that whenever you speak of the greatness of God, these three words have to become part of the discussion. Let me give them to you. These are words that some of you may have heard before, but let me explain what they are. It it is the word omnipotence, omniscience, and even omnipresence. Let me me break them down for you for just a second because this shows how great God is. Omnipotence means God is all-powerful. It means God never looks at a situation and go, that's out of my pay grade. I I really don't know what to do in this situation. But we are reminded in the scriptures that with God, here's omnipotence, all things are possible. There is nothing out of his pay grade. He's God all by himself. There's also this word omniscient. God is omniscient. Omniscient means God is all-knowing, which means there's no mystery to him. He never scratches his head when you begin, like that word supplication, ask him saying, God, um, my marriage is in trouble. And God goes, I, I, I don't know what to do. Or let me say it to you like this. You'd understand it this way. God never has to Google something to figure it out. He knows the answer way before anybody can Google and get all these different things and videos to figure things out. He knows every person, every language. He knows where every person is and God knows the answer to everything because God is omniscient. But he's also, this is such an important one, God is omnipresent. That means God is everywhere, always. Everywhere, always. He can hear prayers on Tuesday night when we, this Tuesday night, have a chance to pray with Times Square Church Overseer, Pastor Carter Conlon. We get a chance to pray. He hears the prayers that are going up right here in New York City, and he hears the prayers that are happening in India and in Guyana, prayers that are happening in Colombia, prayers that are going on in Panama and in the Ukraine, prayers in Nigeria. He hears every prayer because he's there, he's everywhere, always. He listens to every prayer at the same time. He never has to ask someone to be quiet because he can't hear somebody else. He is attuned to every individual prayer. He is omnipotent. Nothing is too difficult for our God. He is omniscient. He knows what's right and what's best for his creation. And he is omnipresent. He is with us all the time. That's, that's why, friend, We have to be careful, even as a nation, when God, let me say this now, when God defines something, we go with his definition. Or as R.C. Sproul, the theologian said, when God says something, get this down, when God says something, the argument is over. When God says it, it's over. There, it, it can't be redefined. If he is omniscient, if he is omnipresent, if he is omnipotent, when God says it, the discussion is over, the argument's over. It doesn't need it to be debated in court. This is God, the God who always speaks what's right and what's best. This is, this is right and this is wrong. Definition doesn't come from politics. It doesn't come from a court. It doesn't even come from a majority. It comes from God who is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. And this is what is so important for us to be reminded of, that we have to be careful. And we, and we have to understand that government policy isn't God's truth all the time. And you can't vote on truth. God has already declared what truth is. And here, I wanna give you a truth that explains who he is, that brings this amazing balance that's gonna show his greatness and his humility. Let me read this passage that began really to take my breath away. It's Psalm 147, verses three through five. Listen to these words. He heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. He counts the number of stars, and he gives names to all of them. And then the writer says, great is our Lord. Do, do Do you see the magnitude of what just happened Uh, he speaks these words as soon as he says he heals the brokenhearted speaking about you and me and binds up their wounds before you can even catch your breath the next verse catapults you into outer space and says he counts the stars and knows them by name this is incredible that's that's why at that moment he just backs off the the writer just goes How great is our God. Think of that. Think of of the distance. Think of the distance he's speaking of between the heart in verse three and the stars in verse four. This is what makes God so amazing that while you are so moved that God heals your heart before you can get out the hallelujah, the psalmist has God in the heavens controlling the universe. And in these two verses, David tells us why God is so great. It's a, here in Psalm 147, he puts this surprising conjunction in between the the God who heals hearts and the God who names stars. We have a twin attribute of God here who moves within the small circles of of us as humans that when a heart gets broken, he is right in the middle there, but he's also the God who is superintending the universe between stars and broken hearts. I could just say what David says. How great is our God? God sees them both. God is concerned about both of them. Heaven with its glories and earth with its griefs. Heaven with its awe connected with earth, earth with its heartbreaks. That he is, get this now, he is the God of the stars, but he's also the God of the saints. He is the God that, that can begin to fill the heavens, The heavens can't even contain him, but he's also the God that comes and lives inside of our hearts. He is a great God. He cares for the heart and he caretakes a universe. How how does this connection come? How does David take the leap from a broken heart that needs healing and jump into outer space, jump into a galaxy? This, This is amazing to me when I start to see this, this correlation, that David connects them, that God is great and God is vast, but God is personal. How does God go from a broken heart to the stars? He sees them both and he cares for them both. He can, he can run a universe and he can also run our daily lives. He, he, he is the God of this planet, but he's also the God of my sorrows that I'm facing today. He is a great God that can do both of them, that only he can. He can deal with heaven and its glories, and he can deal with earth and all the pain that we face, and even the pain that we're facing now in your city, in your nation, and even around the world. He can deal with the universe's majesties, and yet deal with all that, that, that we are hurting over as a country. He can work in outer space, and he can even hear a cry and be there to do both at the same time. Um, while we are, when I, when I think about the distance between these two verses and what God is doing, think how incredible that is. I was in my mind thinking through how I'm having to commute back and forth with my family while we're take, getting, selling a house in Louisiana and then yet moving up here to New York City. Last week, it was meetings in the morning, then going, getting um, in in a car to go to the airport. Then when you get to the airport, you've got to get on a plane, and I had to land in Houston, and then from Houston, go into Louisiana, and after that, it was then some children's activities to be part of, watching them do this and being part of this celebration and getting all these things together. Then, Yet in the midst of that, making sure that that we are get, taking some care of things, even through technology and Zoom with the staff, and then getting back on a plane, going back to Houston, then going back to New York City, jumping in uh, a car, coming back into, into Manhattan, and then sitting down and, and dealing with some stuff right here on staff. By the time all this took place over the days, I was Exhausted. And here's what's amazing. I I was out of breath when I just thought about all those things, just trying to hold lives together, trying to make sure I'm leading my family right and I'm leading my life right and I'm leading the church right and I'm leading the staff right. And here's all I thought about I thought of the God of the stars and the God of the hearts. And this is what's crazy. Think about this. The closest star to us in our solar system is the sun, and it's 93 million miles away. And God hears when there is a cry. And in the nick of time, he can hear a cry in a bedroom at night and make the 93 million mile run and be there in the twinkling of an eye because he is the God that binds up the broken hearts and he is the God that can name and count the stars. God can take care of a star and God can take care of a cry at the same time. And while I'm losing breath trying to commute and exhausted in the commute, God goes, I do this all the time for every person on this planet. He is God of the stars and God of our hearts. He can make a 93 million mile journey for anyone on our planet and wipe away their tears. Or as the old song says, listen to this, he is as close as the mention of his name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's never out of breath. Scientists, think of this for a moment. Scientists tell us that there are 200 billion stars just in our galaxy. Think of that. And then Verse four of one forty-seven says this: He knows them by name. Come on, I, I, Cindy and I are, are, are parents of four children: Christian, Anna, Lauren, and Grace. And can I just tell you, I don't even get their names right. I, I I can't even sometimes remember them as I'm looking and trying to go. Don't do that. And the name just doesn't come to me. And here is a God that says, I know them all by name. Two hundred billion. God says. I can get that right. And all I can think of when God says that, how great is our God? How great is our God? I I was reading a passage in Ephesians chapter one, verse four. And and when I kept looking at the magnitude of this, I I see the same thing here. I see the greatness and the humility. Listen to what Paul says, because I want you to see how great he is. It says, long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. Think of that. Before universe, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. I have a set of books by a moody Greek professor called Word Studies in the Greek New Testament by a man named Kenneth Weest. And Kenneth Weist. Looks at that phrase in Ephesians 1:4 that says the phrase laid down a universe or laid down foundations of the earth. Let me just read to you what Kenneth Wee said. He said that phrase laid down earth's foundations simply means, listen to this, to throw down or throw out a universe just like a man throws a ball. How great is God? We, we can't even get to the edge of the universe or measure the universe and God, like a ball, just throws it out that, that, and says that as I'm throwing it out, but I had you in mind and you were the focus of his love. Talk about greatness and humility. Talk about stars and hearts. That's how great God is. God, God is able to do it all. This is what blows my mind. God can throw out a universe, then come down, when somebody in your life throws you out as trash and God goes, I throw down universe and I take care of those that may have been treated um, unjustly, someone who's been treated as trash, God goes, I hear that heart. I hear that cry and I can mend that heart. Just cry out to him, Jesus, I need you. Just cry out, Jesus, I'm in trouble. And in a moment, without losing any breath, our God, our great God, 93 million miles away if he's taking care of the nearest star, is there. When someone hurts your heart, he can heal it. And he can begin to come and bind up those wounds. I, I, I don't want you to ever limit who God is. That's, that's the amazing part of this verse. That's why he's, he, stars and hearts is what he does. Or, our challenge is sometimes we'll limit him. We limit God to stars or we can limit him to hearts. But forget that this verse says it's stars and hearts that he does. That he is interested in, the, in, in, in you personally and loves you. Wherever you're listening from, he loves you. But he is big enough to say, I'll make the sunrise every single day. See, our challenge is we'll limit him in, is we think sometimes he's just a star God. What do you mean by that, Pastor Tim? That he's so far away that he doesn't care. He's so big that he's just not involved. I think that's probably what even maybe the disciples thought when Jesus is sleeping in the boat, when he said, God, don't Jesus, don't you even care? That they forget that he is just also the God of the human heart that cries. So we limit God to say, sometimes we think of him just as a star God or we could limit him and say he's just a heart God that we make him so close that we be, he becomes familiar or a word that we could use is contempt. We, we bring him down to even our level and both are wrong. He, he is both. Some, some of you who've read, um, who am I that God, some of you have even said, who am I that God notices me? That's, that's, that's seeing him just simply as the God of the stars. And you stopped at verse three and forgot that there's a verse four there's some who have forgotten that he is larger than even just your heart, that he is the God that created the universe. Those are the people that sometimes will hold him in contempt i 'm hearing talking about contempt and forgetting how great God is and how holy He is i 'm um, hearing about just just how crazy things can become that we could try to bring God down to our level and, and inviting God into areas of, of sin and compromise into our life like he's just one of us. And we forgot, no, 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 he's the God of the stars, but he's the God of our hearts. See, if he's a star God, he's too far. And if he's a heart God, he's too close, but he is both of those. And when I realize God is both, get this now, we sang this, it causes a hallelujah to rise. A hallelujah rises. That's, that's what they were singing with Greg and, 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 and Allie and, and Misty and, 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 and Ivory, we're singing I'll raise a hallelujah. I, I want to stop here for a second because I want to say something about that, words, that, that word hallelujah for a moment here. Do you know from Psalm 146 to 150, each of those psalms, Psalm 147 is the one we're reading, begin with that phrase hallelujah. Your Bible will either say the word hallelujah or praise the Lord because that's what it means. That, that what David will do from 146 to 150, those five Psalms, he'll start it off with hallelujah. I'll raise a hallelujah, praise the Lord. But here's what's amazing. Do you know that the word hallelujah then only occurs in those five chapters and will never appear again until the book of Revelation in chapter 19? That common word, that praise the Lord word only occurs in those five Psalms and in Revelation chapter 19. In the Psalms, it's the hallelujah on earth. He's the God of hearts and the God of stars. In Revelation, it's a hallelujah in heaven. See, we serve a God that inspires a praise because of his humility and greatness. At the same time, I can't stop but pause and say, hallelujah, that God you do bind up my broken heart. No matter who's caused it, you hear that cry. And you come and bind up that, those wounds. But you're also the God who's so big that the heavens can't even contain you. Greatness, majesty, humility, all at the same time. How great is our God? That's how David begins to sum that up. How great is our God? I want to close with just two thoughts that I just want to remind you about how great he is. First, that God is personal. God is personal. I I think to myself to have a God who's created a universe also mending my heart, I think that's someone pretty overqualified. If he can map out a universe, create man, put stars, and the Bible says in the book of Job, hang them on nothing, I think he can manage my heart. I think he can fix the wounds and fix the hurts, the disappointments, and even the failures, we we call we call people today that are that are um, uh, that everybody sees that is in in on television or in movies. We call them stars, and you can't even get close to them. There is an entourage, there is security, there are there are big men surrounding them, so no one can get up close to them um, wherever they're going. And and there's something about those who are so big that uh, even to spend time or to go to a concert or to see them, you're spending astronomical amount of money. There's some you can't even talk to, can't even reach them by phone because of stardom. But can I just tell you something? What you're dealing with here is not a star. You're dealing with someone here who makes the stars, who makes them. Who puts them in outer space. In fact, those people we would call stars today, God made you. God was the one who allowed us to, we live and move and have our being in him. He's the one that caused all that just to kind of keep things in perspective. He's the one that did it. I I remember with my father growing up for the, when I was growing up, my dad took our family to a conference um, when he was um, with the New York City Police Department in California. And I'll never forget the first time when my dad pointed out and goes, that's a star, that's a star. Get close to them, get close. I'll take a picture with his little Kodak Instamatic camera. Okay, this is, this is gonna be really dated. And for us who have kind of gray hair, you'll know the name. It was some guy named Art Linkletter. He goes, stand by that man and I'll take a picture. I have that photo to this day. Think about this, folks. Over four decades ago, I still have that photo because it reminds me that it doesn't matter how big someone is. And it wasn't an Art's link letters fault. But my dad takes the picture, and my dad goes, Art, right, put your arm around my son. And he's looking over in another place, part of the room of somebody that knows because, because I'm just a kid. Who am I? But can I just tell you something? He may have been a star but I know someone who made the stars and knows me by name. That's the God that we serve. That's the God who is personal. God God is the one that speaks people's name. The God who makes the stars is the one who stops a man on the road to Damascus and says, Saul, Saul. The God who raises from the dead is the one who says, Mary, Mary. The one That wants to, that loves us so much to even bring correction, is the one that says Simon, Simon. The one that is getting ready to send someone on a journey of faith is the one that says Abraham. If, if, if you could understand that he is so personal, he knows our brokenness. He knows our hearts that needs to be bound up. God knows your name. God knows my name. God knows not only knows my name, he knows even my issues. This is what makes this so amazing, that we, we get to hear, even some of you today are going to hear God whisper your name, and that you're going to know today, this is how personal he is. You're going to hear God whisper your name and tell you that he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to be forgiven. He wants you to be in heaven. Oh, my, my hallelujah, how great is our God. When I think of this passage, David reminds us in Psalm 113, listen to these words, who is like the Lord our God. Watch this now. Who is enthroned on high, but yet humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth. That's the God of the stars and the God of the hearts. That's humility and majesty working together. Enthroned on high, but humbles himself to behold the things right here on this earth. God is personal. But let me finish with this. God is great. God is great. He's a God who can multitask. He governs stars in heaven and heals scars on earth. He has his eye on everything and everyone at the same time. He can wipe away tears and make sure that sun rises every single day. Some years ago, I was sitting Cindy and I were sitting in our living room with our children's pastor he wasn't married yet at the time and our children were down in the basement of our home so we can have a meeting uninterrupted and they were they were young at that time and we're sitting there with the young man who is not married and doesn't have any children and so doesn't understand children crying and I'll never forget us sitting there and while we're talking we're discussing ministry all of a sudden, this large scream and cry comes from our basement. And, and he, gets, he, he gets uncomfortable. He says, are, are you going to have to take care of that? I said, no, I know that cry. That's someone took my spot on the couch cry. I know that cry. I said, they're fine. They'll, they'll, they'll figure it out. And, and he was so shocked. And we just kept talking. And then all of a sudden, five minutes later, another huge cry from the basement came and he un, un, became unnerved going like, do, do you need to go, Pastor Tim? Do you need to take care of I said, no, no, no. I, I know that cry. That's a, I, I, I saw a bug cry. I know that cry. They're fine. Someone will step on it. And then all of a sudden, 10 minutes later, as we were finishing up our meeting, another cry came. And without even hesitating, Cindy and I both got up and went downstairs. He goes, what was that? I go, that's the I'm hurt cry. I said, we know that cry. And without even waiting, he just sat there shocked. And without even waiting, we got up and tended to that precious child who hurt himself. And I have to tell you, God knows that cry. Sometimes all we have is a cry. There are no words to express it. But that still moves our Savior to rescue. The the Psalms, David shows that. He says, sometimes I don't even have the words. All I have is a cry. Listen to Psalm 18.6. In my distress, I cried to the Lord. And my cry, hallelujah, reached his ears. Psalm 116, verse one, I love the Lord because he has heard my cry. The 93 million mile cry, he's gonna be there. Psalm 120, verse one, in my troubles, I cried to the Lord and he answered me. David, over and over again, his cry is his prayer. A cry is inarticulate, but it still has meaning to God. A cry is, may not even be grammatically correct, but it's, but it's understandable to God. A cry may be even be wordless, but it speaks volumes to the God of the stars to come down and heal the brokenhearted, which means tears are even prayers. Tears talk, listen to me, when we can't. That's what, that's what David was saying. When that heart is broken, sometimes there are no words to express it. That no matter what we're facing, God is able to. Let me read that incredible passage one more time, Psalm 147. This is what we're reminded of, God of the stars and God of our hearts. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars and he gives names to all of them. Great our Lord. Just look at that phrase again. You'll see it on the screen. He heals the brokenhearted. Do you know, I, I was just looking a little bit further with that. There is a, there is a Hebrew lexicon I have that's called the theological word book of the old Testament that goes a little bit deeper than just um, synonyms to define a word. And because the, the, the Hebrew language really tells a story And elaborates the word. In this book, it defines this word. I want you to see this because because when you read the synonyms, it's shattered, collapsed, broken. But the theological word book even shows it more in detail. That made more sense to me. The theological word book describes the word brokenhearted as this, to be out of breath. The, The author said it's like a horse that has been ridden so long and so hard that it can't go on any longer. There's no more more strength in it to even go another step. It's it's not that I, listen, it's not that I hurt, only I just can't go on anymore. I'm done. I have nothing left. And some of you have said those words. I can't can't do this any longer. You've looked at a marriage and just go, "I, I, I can't do this. You've looked at the pain that a child is, and just go, I can't do this. You've looked at what's happening um, e- even from, from all the events that are happening in our country and just going like, I have, I have nothing left in me. I'm, I'm, I don't even have anything left in the tank. God, God says, that's the heart I'm looking for. That's the heart I can change. That's the heart I can do something deep in. Because some of you have even at, said, I just, I can't go another day. And out of nowhere, David, 147 Psalms into a 150 chapter book begins to bring this. He says, let me just remind you how great he is. He is the God that says, I can fix your heart and teach you to go on, that you have to look to me and nobody else. I sat in a Starbucks some years ago on a Saturday morning, brought my backpack with me and a Bible, and here in the city, if you sit next to, if you sit in a Starbucks, the tables are so close, you're, you're sitting um, right there that you can hear conversations. And so I had my Bible open and I started to read and some young lady came and it was a bench couch and then chairs and tables on the other side. And as I, she came and sat on the same side table next to mine. And then a gentleman came in, an older gentleman came in, put down all these star charts, took her palm, started to read her palm and then started to show her things on a star chart, her horoscope of how the planets are aligning and how the stars are beginning to dictate her future. And she's giggling, he's holding her hand. And I watched it, I watched it with my own eyes. And I watched that girl pull $50 out of her wallet, give him $50, and and that man gathered up his star chart let go of her hand after reading the lines on her hand. And I'll never forget, I, I, I put down my Bible and I was, I was listening the whole time, listening to what he was saying to her. And she saw that I was looking and finally looked over at me and she just goes, wasn't that awesome? I said, nope. She, she looked at me, she goes, why do you say that? And then with my Bible already open, I read to her what Isaiah 47 said. Isaiah 47, verse 13. Let me read it to you. It says, God speaks and says, all the counsel you've received has only worn you out. This is God speaking. He says, let your astrologers come forward. That's what, that's what happened in, Star, in Starbucks. Those stargazers who make predictions month by month, let them save you what's coming upon you. Surely they are like stubble. The fire will burn them up. They can't even save themselves. And I told her, why tr- trust some guy who's telling you about the stars when you can begin to trust the one who made the stars? All before those phrases in Isaiah, you hear this phrase over and over again, over and over again. It says, There's none beside me. There's no one like me. There's no one like me. There's no one like me. And then he says, Why are you trusting people who can try to re- think they're reading the stars? I looked at that precious young lady and I just said trust the one that put them in outer space and can heal the brokenhearted. A.W. Tozer was right when he said, but the sons of this world who have not God, listen to these words, they only have each other and they walk holding to each other and looking to one another for assurance like frightened children. That is so true of our society. They have to hold each other's hand. When you don't have God, all you do is you have people that will read the stars or someone, um, someone who'll try to walk you along. And I'm telling you that the one that you want to hold on to is God Himself, the God who made the stars and the God who can heal our hearts today. God is the one that could be going to do that. God says, I can fix that heart. The God who sees the stars says, I also do hearts. mom that says, I can't go on anymore. The wife that says, I can't do this anymore. I can't trust him anymore. I can't love him anymore. They said they cared for me and that they smashed my heart. My breath is out. I I can't go any further. And they think that there's nothing that can fix their heart, but I'm telling you, God can fix that heart. In fact, he may be whispering to you right now that while you're trying to hold on to everybody else, my girlfriend, my mother, my parents, and you're holding hard, to, like Tozer said, to people who are just as frightened as you are. And I'm telling you, there's another hand that you have to get a hold of. Listen to me close as we finish. God did not send his son 2,000 years ago to fix your weekends. He came 2,000 years ago to fix your heart. To fix your heart. That's why he came. God came not only from creation, remember the Ephesians 1, 4 passage, not only to throw down a universe, but for you to be the focus of his love today, to change you from the inside out. Pastor Tim, how does he do that? Maybe you've just seen him as a star God just out there, but I'm here to tell you he wants to come close and change your heart. In fact, what Jesus speaks about with with that heart change, he talks about it like this. He talks about it about being born again. It's like a new birth is what John chapter 3 talks about. There's a new birth. It's it's going, the first birth may have got you here, but you need a second birth that's going to change you from the inside out. That's what God wants to do. Pastor Tim, can that really happen? Do do, do you know what I've done? I don't know. God knows and still says, I love you. And I can bind up that heart. I can fix up those wounds. That's why he came. That's why 2,000 years ago, God sent his son. That we can have not not simply um, getting what we would call a second chance, but a second birth. That phrase, born again, that Jesus uses in John 3, 5 and John 3, 3, that no man, no woman can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. That's not a, it's not a religious term. It's not a, it's not a TSC, Times Square Church term. It's not a Protestant or a Catholic term. It's not a Jewish term. It's a Jesus. It's Jesus's words. He says that the change that comes to people's lives, the change that can come to you today, Is a born again experience. I'm I'm inviting you for God to resuscitate the heart, for God to resuscitate the life. Well, Pastor Tim, how how does that happen? I thought I I go to church and, or by being good, or I was, I took communion one time, or I I was baptized, or my parents were good people. All, All those things are good, but that's not what Jesus said. He said a person has to be born again. Just as you had a first birth. In a hospital, there needs to be a second birth that comes to your heart right now. And it literally can happen today, at this moment. Pastor Tim, how does that happen? It is as simple as the letters A, B, C. Like we would tell someone in kindergarten or preschool, do you know your ABCs? It's as that it's that simple because it's that important. That the most important question I can ask you today is this: Have you been born again? And today that can happen. God God wants to change you from the inside out. God's goal is not to get you to church. God's goal is to get you to heaven. Well, How does that happen, Pastor Tim? Jesus said, no one would see heaven unless you're born again. So what are the ABCs? A, the word is admit. Admit that I'm a sinner. Admit. It's where I get honest with God, that there is a condition in me, starting with me, that is sin that I can't fix. I can't fix it on my own. I can't fix by trying to balance it out by being, I'm going to be a lot better and so God will bring me to heaven because my, I got more good stuff than bad stuff. I wish that was it. But God says, in, in John 3, 3, he says, you have to be born again. It's, we need help to fix us. We need God to fix us. We are sinners in need of a savior, not mistakers in need of a correction. It's also the word believe. That's the B word, believe. Believe that God sent his son to die for our sinful condition. Since we can't fix ourselves, if we could, then why would God have to send his son 2,000 years ago to die on a cross for us? That would be ridiculous. If I could get myself to heaven by being good and by doing all these things then Jesus would never have to come and die on the cross. Jesus' death was him paying a penalty for me, him dying in my place. It was Jesus who died the death I deserve to die because he lived the life I couldn't live and then would give me a reward, heaven and forgiveness that I don't deserve. He did it for me. Before he threw down a universe He focused on you today and said, I love you. I want to forgive you. And I want you to live with me forever. And finally, it's the word confess. It's saying to Jesus, you're in charge now. That's Romans 10, 9, and 10. If we confess him as Lord. In fact, that word actually means boss. It means, man, I can't run my own life. It seems that when I do and I trust wrong things, it breaks my heart. If you're the God that can fix stars and fix hearts, then you're the God that I want in charge of my life. God didn't send his son 2,000 years ago to die on a cross to get you to church. He sent his son 2,000 years ago to get you to heaven. But he has to start with our hearts. See, we want to start with the outside. We want to clean up the outside. Once I, there's some people that are actually saying this. Once I stop doing this, then I'm going to get right with God. Can, can, I, can I help you today? Listen to me. You don't get good and come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and he makes you good. He wants your heart broken, tore up, smashed, out of breath. He wants it all and says, let me put it back together and let me change you from the inside out. That's why Christianity is not coming to a place, but it's coming to a person. It's coming to the God of the stars and the God of the hearts, the God of the broken hearts. And he wants to change your heart today. Pastor Tim, how does, how does that happen? I want to I pray a born-again prayer with you right now. Where, wherever you're listening, I want you to pray this with me today. I want you to realize that as you're trying to fix up the co- cosmetically the outside and calling it religion, that's not why Jesus came he didn't come simply to fix the outside. He came to start with our hearts, our hearts. And if you're listening today, wherever you're at, maybe, maybe you're in a gym, maybe you're running, maybe you're sitting in a park, maybe you're, you're commuting somewhere. Whatever it is, I want you to pray a prayer with me. I want you to pray a born-again prayer with me. It says, God, I need you to fix my hearts. I thank you on how great you are. It's the kind of prayer that, at the end, we're gonna, Greg, we wanna raise a hallelujah, just like David did in those Psalms. We're gonna get our hallelujah on Earth, just like we sang before. We're gonna raise a hallelujah, because that's what he said. David said this in Psalm 147, hallelujah, praise the Lord. He's a God that heals the broken heart. He is the God that counts the stars and knows them by name. How great is our God, and if you're listening right now and say, Pastor Tim, I wanna pray that prayer. I I want him in my life. I want to be born again today. Wherever you're at, I want you just to close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. Just a moment. If you can whisper it, if you could say it out loud, maybe even as a family. Let this prayer come from your heart. Would you say these words with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe. That on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say these words with me. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper and heaven is my home in Jesus name. Amen.